Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories. Production, monster quality, and scare factor to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready and begin. All right, so we're here to, can we say it's a Hitchcockian night? Yes, very much. We are talking about uh, Psycho, both the book and the Hitchcock film, as well as Frenzy. Yeah. Um, We also have a post that came up a week before this is going to air, um, which is written by Stephen McClurg. um, And it's actually an interview with a horror critic and film studies professor and... um, kind of want to talk about that first um in the interview they talk a lot about the status quote-unquote of hitchcock in this day and age like whether mm-hmm. he's still relevant um to discuss uh whether it's you know i guess a good word for it be like passe like our modern audience is going to look at these pieces and you know not give an f about like yeah. the auteur you know that like kind of idea that i think kind of preceded hitchcock in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a really fascinating interview, and I was kind of surprised by some of the responses that he got. Um, I still see Hitchcock as one of the all-time greats, Um, but as far as like a film studies curriculum, that conversation has definitely come up where, you know, is he worth teaching anymore? Right. And I found that whole part of the interview just fascinating. Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that before. Just like you and I are thinking about that in terms of uh, novels, literature, pieces used for class. Mm-hmm. Um, he's having to do that with film, and he has to ask himself, like, is, yeah. is this going to be relevant for my students? Yeah, and move them along. And I think he says no, <laughs> like in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get I don't think we mentioned his name yet, but it's a uh, Murray Leader. Um, and he teaches at the University of Calgary. Um, and yeah, definitely go check out the interview. But yeah, let's talk about that first as a status. What do you think after watching these movies? Like, is is he relevant? I I, oh, I guess maybe we should talk about the movies first. But because like because like if if you said should students see Psycho, say yes. Do they have to watch all of Hitchcock? I don't know. Yeah, but isn't that true of any... Yeah, do you have to read everything? Yeah, you have to read everything by William Shakespeare to understand Shakespeare. Don't you feel like you have, like, a new understanding after you do that sort of thing? Like, I'm thinking about... um, So Stephen and I actually, for uh, our reading group that he and I typically do, is we'll read, um, like, an entire... Um, bibliography of novels from an author. So we yeah. did that with Vonnegut. We did that with Hemingway. We're doing that with Faulkner. Um, and I think you do. I think you get like a new understanding of the author. Is it necessary? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I to think, appreciate to appreciate that like appreciate that auteur and his work. Yeah, I mean, I, I was even just telling you before we started recording that I've myself have, have started to go back and. Uh, kind of go through Hitchcock's filmography. Um, and it's just something that I was, I was doing for fun. I think I appreciate the two movies we're going to talk about more because of it, but I also don't know 
if you have to have seen his other stuff to be able to appreciate this. Yeah, you can see that. Well, I, with Frenzy, yes. Like, I feel like knowing a little yeah. bit more about Hitchcock made me appreciate Frenzy a little bit more. If you just given me Frenzy and not told me who directed it, yeah. I'd be like, all right. <laughs> Psycho, it, it kind of stands. It's it just oh, one it of those, it's, like great american movies that like it's, ex- it's a movie exceeds piece of art. like it's the time period it exceeds like everything that went into making it to become something completely yeah. other i guess well the- i guess going going more into that because we're kind of having that conversation that they had uh, he said his his stat it seems like at least from when i read steven's piece it, the, the his status is in decline yeah would you agree with that I don't think so. Um, what I've really come to appreciate by watching Hitchcock's films uh, lately is his visual storytelling. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's so it's so powerful and it's so relevant. You know, he's the master of suspense. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any any film since... Hitchcock is kind of held to that standard. And I think a lot of films don't, don't hold up to that standard still. Yeah. I I think, I think that's a good point. Like if we're going to kind of connect this back to our rubric with production, I think the visual elements, like he sets the bar for what you can do and Mm -hmm. what is possible for creating suspense, like say other than a jump scare, Mm -hmm. like how can you visually put this together to make it suspenseful. For example, I'm thinking like in frenzy where there's that, like um, there's like the slow pan or the slow zoom out of like, um, this, like when he goes upstairs with that, yeah. he gets a second victim mm-hmm. and then he pulls out that reminded me straight away of um, it follows. Mm. Yeah. He does a really great job of playing with audience expectations. Yeah. Um, or even, even James Wan in, in, in the conjuring, like we talked about mm-hmm. um, the last episode. Like, I feel like all of those sort of now what we would see is like a moviegoer um, who is looking at production as like sort of staples, mm-hmm. um, I, I think are, we can attribute to Hitchcock, not him by himself, but he's like the linchpin. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe, I think maybe his like people knowing him is decline. Like I think people would know Hitchcock as a word, but like if you went into like our class, uh, a class of freshmen or sophomores and say, raise your hand. If you know who Alfred Hitchcock is, how many hands would you get? Well, I feel like psycho is one of those things that even if you haven't seen the movie, you know, know you know what it is. Same with, you know, when my freshman students, uh, come to my room and we read Romeo and Juliet. They've never read Romeo and Juliet. They've never seen any adaptations, but they know the story mm-hmm. because it's just such a cultural touchstone. Yeah. And so I feel like That's what Hitchcock he is just, he he's so embedded in the DNA of modern cinema that I, I, yeah, I, I think it's important to go back and, and watch his films. Yeah. And I also think that they are worth revisiting, that they're mm-hmm. entertaining. 
but maybe we should actually get into yeah the, the film. Well, so i'll just say that about the professor i mean he says his the one he uses is rear window which i think is a perfect movie about movies yes yeah i love that yeah. um but yeah but let's anyway so test prep it comes out every other week mm-hmm. on our off weeks. And so I would highly recommend. Yeah, please check it out. out. Leave a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's someone who is really invested and experienced. He's just, we're separated by um, distance. So he yeah. can't necessarily, we tried recording that one time and <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> it's just technology. All right. Um, so let's talk about Psycho the Novel. Yes, so talk about that first. This was published in 1959, written by Robert Block. And fun fact, uh, in an interview, Hitchcock says that he didn't care for this book. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did you specific? hear anything about that? Uh-uh. Oh, uh, I just, I, I think he just generally kind of thought it was poorly written, kind of rubbish, kind of popular, you know, uh, fiction that has no literary merit uh let's yeah, let's I, let's push on that yeah because i think there's something here i because i feel like and it's just now when i um the thing that sticks out to me about the novel is the dialogue yeah. there's a lot of dialogue and it moves pretty fast mm-hmm. which i liked about it so it makes it that thriller where i could see it you, somebody could call it like you know pulp mm-hmm. um but i feel like that same pace of the dialogue and story happens in the movie. Yeah. So it's like he, <laughs> he borrowed it. All right. Before we get any further, let, let's, let's start talk with about Norman. production. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's start. So production with that, we're looking to make sure that the uh, novel is, uh, is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its uh, writing, um, its characters, um it's iconography and portrayal of its subject matter yes um so i think in terms of the writing mm-hmm. I, I i would yeah i would say it's it's written like pulp i would I agree with that mm-hmm. with with hitchcock but i mean it's not like it's, it's not literary i mean that piggybacked in my reading like i i just finished the goldfinch okay right so that's like literary like this has so much description yeah. and just like flowery prose mm-hmm. this does not have that like mm-hmm. but is it literary in the sense of like character development yeah I yeah feel like there's a firm like rounded development of character in it especially norman and we can mm-hmm. talk about that um in character uh, in just a minute but i feel like norman as a character in the novel is way different than in the book Right. To the book's detriment, I think. Yeah. I think I like Norman better in the movie. Um, there's... Especially at this like, second half. Like, yeah. or like second third. Or, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have to hand it to Robert Block for creating such a memorable, interesting character. I think it, it's in the opening where he's like reading a book and he's having a conversation with his mom but and and he's like about he's like walking out the door and there's a line in there that's like he he can hear his mother from behind but he chooses not to look at her or something and the movie didn't have that scene in there and i Mm -hmm. think it was a good choice because that scene it kind of feels a little cheap like it feels a little forced 
knowing that Norman Bates is his mother, you know, mm. like his mother's dead. He has assumed the personality that it felt, it felt a little too forced, um, that particular scene. Mm-hmm. What about throughout the book though? Like, do you, it was hard because like I knew what the twist ending was. So like when there were little pops of references mm-hmm. to, it's not, you know, it's not really his mom in the house. Yeah. Um, that was obvious, but I don't, to somebody who's never watched the movie or anything, like, do you think they would catch on? Like, do you think audiences of that or readers of that time? It was definitely surprising at yeah. the time. Have you seen any of like the behind the scenes, like documentary about, um, about the, the production and when it came out or anything? Um, some of it I listened to, so there's a, on the Blu-ray of Psycho, there's um and it's just a short bit it only does mm-hmm. parts but there's a conversation between it plays the recording between Truffaut yeah. and Hitchcock on it which is pretty awesome mm-hmm. um talking about they they talk about the ending in the shower scene yeah. and stuff like that but um I wish there had been that commentary throughout like can you imagine oh, like if it was yeah. modern day and you would have had both of them <laughs> for the whole time but other than that no I didn't watch yeah because that was like. It it was very gimmicky at the time, but it was also it also really changed cinema um, because they wouldn't let people walk in in the middle of the movie. Like you had to be there, you had to come in at the beginning, and you had to stay until the end, and you could not talk about the end. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, even a little cardboard cutout of Alfred Hitchcock saying, "Like, remember, mum's the word. Like, don't." Don't tell your friends about what happens. <laughs> I feel like we do that in class sometimes with the novel. Like, don't tell the next period that this character yeah, dies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, I mean, think about, like, this was when, you know, people would just kind of pop in, um, catch, like, the middle of the movie, and then just stay, yeah. and then, like, watch the first half, you know, after That's the like, second. Um, and, and so one... Like, one concern they had was, you know, Janet Lee is, like, in the poster but she's not in the second half of the movie. And so um, they were concerned about, you know, well, what if someone comes in in the second half of the movie and it's like, where's Janet Lee? You know, this isn't the movie that I wanted to see. And so it, it, it's funny that like, it, it was a very like practical um, reason for like forcing people to sense. come in at the beginning of the movie, but now it's just the norm. So like, even yeah. without, even outside of the movie itself. Um, well, that's of the era. It's been, of, we're, but we're talking about the movie and not actually, the book. I know. I know. <laughs> that, well, yeah. Cause one thing I want to say though, like that's of the era, which I kind of didn't think about until now. And I want to kick myself. Like that's of the William castle era, like with all those gimmicks, right? Or it's just coming off the end of it. Mm, what do you mean? Like with the, like the tingler oh, and yeah, like yeah, all yeah. that, the gimmicky stuff. Mm-hmm. Is he coming at the, I didn't, I never looked at the chronology. Like, is it the, the, the end I mean, of that? it's 1960. Yeah, so, so it's in it. Yeah. Um, and there is another thing where, like, Hitchcock bought all the copies of the book so that no one would read it and be spoiled. Are you serious? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Just all these, like, fun little trivia awesome. things. Okay, but all right, so let's talk the about book. character. Let's, let's yes. talk about character. Um, so getting into character um, with Norman Bates, I feel like, and I, I may have told you this before, and this is kind of the way I've framed it. In the book, to me, the character of Norman Bates strikes me as 
the same sort of like parking attendant that's in um, uh, Human Centipede Human two. Centipede two. That's what he strikes me as. There's a description um, in there where he's like he's he's like balding. He's mm-hmm. got glasses. He's overweight. He's like unsightly. Like yeah, it's not it's not the charismatic. Kind it's not of the like young, foxy. hunky yeah. Anthony Perkins, yeah. who my wife has a huge crush on. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Yeah, I'll just say it. Other <laughs> he's than a good looking like, dude, yeah, but peeping through the hole and <laughs> being psychotic, but that's okay. Um, so I think have, but having him the charismatic, and I want to talk about this in Frenzy too, um, is that you know what does a psychopath look like? Mm-hmm. And to me, the Norman Bates in the movie version that's it it's more unsettling because i think the idea of the novel and the idea of the movie is that anybody can be a psycho Mm -hmm. like anybody can kill you at any time yes um because the beginning of the book the beginning of the movie is about marion crane who you know has her own story and if if we're if we're like on on the trip that Robert Block wants to take us, then we think Marion or or Mary in the book is really the protagonist, right? And, and so Norman is kind of a side character. Yes, when he's introduced, um, you know, we we kind of think, oh, she'll stay at the hotel and then you know go on next, and but then you know, obviously. It doesn't work out that way. Um, and so it's, I, I think that it is successful as, as a product um, because it plays with our expectations and makes us question, you know, the person next door, the person that we're having a conversation with. Mm-hmm. Anybody can be a psycho. We all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's her too. You know, with like getting the gall to steal the money and everything like that. Like, yeah, I think we're supposed to see her make that decision, um, and run away. And I feel like I don't know. It's hard to say because having seen the movie already with the book, I can appreciate those things like the character development in both um, her and Norman mm-hmm. and even the. Like even the the private investigator, like yeah. stuff like that. Um, so I feel like for production wise, for the book, it's not literary, but it reminds me of like the same level of like adaptation from the book to the movie, like that conversation we had with Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, but Hell, Hellraiser, um, as a as a as a book as a novella, mm-hmm. uh, way better written. Like, don't let me. Like, yeah. Don't let me confuse that. But, but like, it, it made it's me as fun yeah. to read mm-hmm. as a fan of horror. So I yeah, because it is a novella. Yeah, like it's not a very long novel. No, um, super short. And so, so I was thinking like pulp. Yeah. So so I think it's it's long enough. Like if if it were to go longer, um, we might get more characterization but i i like how lean it is mm-hmm. in in the book it um so maybe, it doesn't waste time maybe what we're saying in terms of production is that where hitchcock found a flaw um we're actually saying is a pro i was surprised when i when i heard that he didn't like it because 
I, I think it's a good book. Yeah, I think it's I like it. uh, you know. so, yeah. So I'm gonna give it a point. Okay, I am too. For what a uh, monster quality. Um, I feel like <clears throat> um, with this one, if we want to call the monster Norman, or like we were saying, like even that drive to being a psychopath. I, what do we want to call I, the monsters well, in here? I feel like the someone was talking about the movie is sexism. Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> like, yeah, misogyny. Like in the first half of that movie, um, I, I think this may may even be more prevalent in the book. Um, but this idea of you can never really know someone. Yeah, and I I have it marked. Um, that in the middle of the book, um, there is a passage where Sam talks about how he can never really know Mary um even though they're what engaged mm-hmm. like you can never really know another person and so um and so I think that I I, I think that's a very common archetypal fear in horror mm-hmm. I mean invasion of the body snatchers may be like the most popular mm-hmm. version of that mm-hmm. um where like underneath the surface anyone is an alien anyone, right. in here underneath the surface anyone can be a killer yeah. even even the lonely guy who even the mama's boy mm-hmm. you know the the seemingly harmless mama's boy yeah so i think it's there yeah i think lots of archetype archetypal fears <sighs> even, even going into do... the yeah. Oedipus complex with yeah. the relationship oh. with the boy and the mother. It's so creepy. Yeah, I have to give it a point. Yeah. Even for that, I think I think even even as a as a book, I think we can say that it has that depth in the story. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it's hard to because there are so many similarities between this and the movie, it's hard to separate them. It is, yeah. Um I mean, we can talk more specifically about the movie in terms of, because like we were saying in the beginning, we have to talk about Hitchcock's visual storytelling, but like, um, I I think it's there. I have to give it a point. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have the scare factor, clear intent to scare and it's successful beginning to end. I mean, like you're saying about the beginning Mm -hmm. of the book, it has that great scene. I think that is a really great then with the ending, it's a really great bookend. It's still a conversation, except now it's a conversation between um, mother and son at the end, and then son and mother in the beginning. I I don't like that opening scene. You don't like is it? what I was saying. Yeah. Wait. How, oh, because you feel like it? It's too obvious. Um, I feel like yeah. I feel like it's it's him trying too hard to get us to buy into this whole idea of the mother as another person oh like i don't Do you think it should just like hitchcock is like just jumping to mary i i think hitchcock was wise and, and the screenwriter of psycho was wise to have marion crane uh the protagonist of the first half of the movie and norman the protagonist of the second half of the movie mm-hmm. whereas in the book because we get that scene, mm-hmm. um, we we know that Norman's going to be an important part of this, um, and so it it kind of kills some of the tension. Whereas if oh, it just mm-hmm. you know if we just got Mary's story, 
up until the moment yeah. where this like seemingly minor character suddenly took over the story by killing the protagonist. I think that would have been a lot more interesting. So anyway, that that was my quibble, and I think it's a minor quibble of That's that a opening good scene. Point though, but in in terms of scare factor, like. It, it, After that point, I mean, the stuff when she's, even though it's suspenseful, when she's like, when she's running away, she doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't know where she's going to go. That's suspenseful. I don't know if it's scary. I mean, unless you can see like a, like a, a woman on the run. I, I'm I feel not like going to give suspenseful, this a point scary. in yeah. scare factor. And I think part of it has to do with just how it's a cultural touchstone and you know you know what's going to happen and, and i feel like the book more than the movie kind of hinges on the twist mm -hmm. uh, whereas There's i feel so like if you watch the movie you can still like get something out of it even if you know the twist mm -hmm. with the book it feels a little bit like once you know the twist and eh, there's really not much there mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I disagree because monster quality. So, but you know, I, there's well, not much there as far as scare factor. Yeah, I, I feel like in the book. So, going back to what you're saying, like monster quality hinges on characterization. It, it it's what brings depth to those archetypal fears is how it's brought out in the characters. But scare factor, just as like I feel like, is more centered on like you're saying, like the pacing, the plot. And like the actual structure of the book, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really do it. Yeah. Um, just kind of changed my mind about it. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna give it a point either. Okay. Um, so guess that's going to go. Does that go in the? It goes mention? into honorable mention if we right. want it to. I mean. Yeah, I think we should. I think it I think, deserves it. I think if somebody's a fan of the movie, I think mm -hmm. they would get an appreciation out of the book. Um, even though, like yeah. you said, what ruins the scare factor is already knowing the twist, which if you watch the movie, you already yeah. know it already. And then anytime it's mentioned or kind of like um, <laughs> Norman's mother's not really there, mm -hmm. like anything that pops up in the dialogue, you'll appreciate and be mm -hmm. like, ah, yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. Okay, so Psycho the novel or novella is in honorable mention. Now let's move on to the film Psycho. Released in 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Joseph Stefano, with Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, Janet Leigh as Marion Crane, Farrah Miles as Lila Crane. We go on. Let's let's get into it. Yeah, we kind of already started with it. So first of all, let, um, since we're talking about production. Um, Go, go through this again. We're looking that the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. Um, and as we introduced this podcast, I said, okay, this is going to determine if I buy the Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. Dude, I'm a total Blu-ray snob now. Yeah. Um, after doing this and the Blu-ray of this, this movie looks phenomenal. Yeah. Um, with the remastering, mm -hmm. like, looks great. Sounds great. I won beef with it. Oh, no. Have you... <laughs> So when you do the Blu-ray, it has this like universal online oh, thing. It's so annoying, dude! It sounds like it sounds like you're accessing 
um, the Terminator version of the movie. Like any of the menu <laughs> options are just like hydraulic. So it's yeah, it's so annoying. It looks it great. Is. The menu selection is fantastic. Um, looks amazing, but it, th- that threw me off from the beginning. Because yeah. before I started, I was like, oh, what kind of commentaries and special features are there? And it was like, I was like, it's like I had the Terminator in my Blu-ray player. And it's a relatively minor quibble. I don't know if this is true for every Blu-ray player, but um, I watched Blu-rays through my PS4, and... With this particular one, if I start watching the movie and I stop, it won't go back to like, oh, mine a place. Didn't mine didn't either. Now, it does that in several. There's like an option that'll pop up that says like resume playback. Um, so I was frustrated a few times when I was like watching mm-hmm. special features or watching or rewatching the film and uh i had to start over or try to find where i was Go through the chapters so anyway stuff. that has nothing to do with production i know well but it's the production of like the blu-ray <laughs> yeah um I, sorry i had to say that because it, it it's annoying me. it bugged yeah. me but that's just i like i said i'm becoming a blu-ray snob after okay. doing this. um anyway <laughs> in terms of uh, i mean it's I just have to say, I have to give it a point. Like, how can you... It's kind of a gimme. How can you not say that in terms of cinematography that Psycho lacks? Um, I was trying... So so I was thinking about that as I was watching it, too. Yeah. And I Googled and I said, okay. Like, I went with the mindset. I want to say, like... This wasn't the exact search phrase, but I was like, why does Psycho suck? Like, why <laughs> do people not like yeah. Psycho? Right? Um, and the only thing I could find, like... In, terms of like commonality is that people are upset with the pacing Mm. that it's they feel like it's too slow for modern audiences um and that the acting is too um dated in terms of like actors delivery i disagree i disagree as well i i i think (sighs) and you know i'll even say something else that i thought you were going to say that um like modern audiences have a problem with the black and white because I know young viewers, when they see something that's black and white, they automatically disregard it. Mm -hmm. Um, But having watched the Gus Van Sant remake, that's in color. Yeah. I have to say black and white looks so much better with this story. I, 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 and we didn't, I mean, I know you and I've seen the remake Yeah, and that's not Mm -hmm. on our docket, but yeah, I'll say this. It's, it blows my mind how making something color makes it so lifeless. Yes. The black and white one has so much more pop life. Um, Creepiness. Um, and the use of color in that was in the original is so much more interesting than yes. in the color version, which makes no sense. Like when, <laughs> when uh, Marion is changing the first time we see her, she's in white, like her bra is white. Mm-hmm. And then when she's like, taking the money and she's changing her bra is black because she's gone to the dark side. Mm -hmm. Like just you, the use of color in this black and white film is so effective. Yeah. And I think something that is, uh, you know, terribly Hitchcockian, which I think works that I love. And we can talk about this with frenzy too, is that, um, it's like those, the, I don't know how else to describe it. Like other than montages, those quick snaps of looks and close-ups and eyes and knives and like, 
you know what I mean? Like those different montages within the quick moving action Especially scenes. in the shower scene. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is like... They have them in the death scenes in Frenzy, too. Yeah. Um, but... <clears throat> but, um... I, I mean, that scene is... It may be the, mo- the single most famous scene in film history. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. I mean, it's it's perfect. And, and if we're going to say that, like, it, is Hitchcock still relevant? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that scene itself can teach you so much about how to make a movie. It uses literal cuts, you know, while the killer He's is cutting, cutting her. I know. And so much is implied. Like, we don't see penetration with the knife. No. It, it, it's all implied. And so many so many great horror movies that we've already talked about use that Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Uses that. Like we were talking mm-hmm. about, there's very little blood it's in that. Suggestion. from that. Yeah. That's, that's scarier. Yep. And so, I mean, it's all there. Yeah, it's, it's I think, a perfectly made film. I know it, it. It's just it's a moving piece of art, and I I was thinking that the whole time I was watching mm-hmm. it. Um, so uh, going back, so yeah, we have to get a point that's given. Yeah, um, um, I will say um that another first, like I mentioned, this is the first film where theaters wouldn't allow people to you know go in after the movie started. This is the first film in which a toilet is featured and the toilet is flushed in the movie no way yes and so think about where that takes place it takes place right before the shower scene so this is something that just kind of flies over our heads now but when you learn this you kind of have to like appreciate his genius because when when the audience is you know in 1960 they're watching this film and they're watching someone like flush a toilet they're unsettled already and then you get into the shower scene and so it's pretty brilliant in like the way that he unsettles you in, in that whole sequence. Now, I mean, who cares? It's a toilet, but I found it really fascinating that he used even that small, like little detail to unnerve his audience. And that made me think too, like with that setup, it makes me think about, since we're talking about production, like since we get the point of view of the, of the killer thing, you know, something that makes Halloween um, a benchmark mm-hmm. um, is getting that point of view. So it like starts with Norman looking through the peephole yeah. and seeing it. And then we get also that, like when the, he actually, you know, with the, this, with the stabbing, like you get so mm-hmm. much of it, that's POV, like, ugh, love it. And um, getting into like the, the, Maybe this is monster quality, but like the archetypes as they were presented in Men, Women, and Chainsaws, we have like the feminized male killer Mm -hmm. and the masculine female victim. Well, I I would say that Lila is like the ultimate protagonist in the movie. Like Marion is a victim, but like she, you know, doesn't listen to the men. She like goes on her own. Like Mm -hmm. she insists on like going Mm -hmm. to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's so, the one. Like, she goes in the house by herself. She right, like, really right. roots out, and so that gen- gender dynamic is is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you were going to mention earlier, like the misogyny in the film. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, in the beginning, I, like I I, I I just laughed at it because, like, in the beginning with um, 
remember the character's name, but the guy who's coming in there to buy that yeah, property that so drops the, off the money and the he's boss's like, client. Yeah. He's all waste face and like <clears throat> you know, hitting on her yeah. and like talking about what she can and can't do mm-hmm. as a woman. Like yeah. just oh my god. I mean, how could you if any anybody is in that position, of course you're gonna take that dude's money. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, the way it's set up. I mean um <sighs> Yeah, but then you get you get into like so Sam, her boyfriend, fiance, mm, is mm-hmm. kind of like um demasculate or emasculated or impotent because he can't provide. Right. Right. Because he's yeah. Yeah. And so um and, and so she she's the one that has to take action. Um you know, with Norman having a thing for killing women. Um, it it seems to be presumed that there have been other women, right, mm-hmm, that he's mm-hmm. killed. I mean, I, I think especially with the last shot where the car is being pulled out of the swamp, it seems to be like secrets are being uncovered. Mm-hmm. How many other cars are in it's that swamp? It's only the beginning, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's there's definitely something here, I think, about like this, this very masculine... Um, uh, desire to you know dominate women that norman portrays which is so surprising because he seems like such a meek mama's mm-hmm. boy yeah and it's like he finds the power to do that through his mother because mm-hmm. like that's how she dominated him uh, it's just well let's go ahead let's talk about monster quality because that's where we're, okay that's so we're talking yeah, about both points for production absolutely yes yeah Monster um, quality. Monster quality. So going into kind of continuing that conversation about, um, I guess we could talk about the. Um, I mean, do we oh, want to get so much to the Oedipal part? Like we want to talk there's about the mom. Definitely, there. You know, a boy's best friend is his mother. You know, <laughs> um, so that that's definitely played for the creep factor, and I, I would like to say that um, the show Bates Motel does this really, really well. It just um, builds that co- like that conflict, and you see. Yeah, it, it. We're gonna have to do a whole thing on that, which you've suggested. Yeah, it it gets better and better each season, and so um, I, I really have grown to like it. Um, it. It kind of plays on these things that are are suggested in the film, um, and and it does so to good effect. But but it's still in the film. Um, yeah, that whole Oedipal really weird relationship with norman and his mother yeah just i mean just the fact i don't know even her as a monster because that's the thing it's like really the monster is in terms of his mother because in i feel like in bates motel right like you get you actually get the mother as a character yes she's there like you you can Mm -hmm. you see her more rounded out but here it's just norman's version of his mother in his mind mm-hmm. who is the monster there so we just kind of have to infer what she was like you get a little bit of it in like the big the, speech at the end oh yeah yeah um, but still but that's still it's still we we don't see it yeah 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 um so yeah it, it, it's interesting it um it yeah, it plays into his whole weird relationship with women. 
Yeah. I, I, I think what, what other archetypal fears can we type into there? Oh like, man. Um, uh, voyeurism, voyeurism where he's, you know, which also is, you know, I think in a Hitchcockian, Hitchcockian sense, um, about filmmaking. Oh yeah. Um, you mentioned rear window, like that's considered like this great movie about filmmaking because it's about a guy who watches other people through a lens. And so you see that here a little bit. Um, and it's weird that Hitch, well, it's effective that Hitchcock makes us uh, kind of see Marion through his eyes. Um, it's it's a way in which he unsettles us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's effective. Um, when Marion and Norman are talking, um, they have this great conversation. That's, I, I think, almost lifted word for word from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but Norman talks about how we're all in our own private traps, you know? And so I, I think to some degree, it, it's all subtext, but I, but, but I think Norman in that scene is, is sort of tortured, you know? Um, he, he, it, it's out of his control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think like that idea of, of kind of being trapped um, mm-hmm. and, and being a prisoner of your decisions or the way, the way people perceive you. Um, Which I we think can apply really to Mary too. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's feels like she's trapped in circumstances. She's literally, she's running away yeah. from all that. Yeah. Um, so I, I and, and like... she's also trapped in, in 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 that like her her boyfriend Sam like doesn't it wouldn't be proper for him to like marry her without mm-hmm. you know have without having money and so they're trapped in society mm-hmm. too so so I, I, oh go did ahead. you have another point just, just you know as I mentioned in the book that this idea of not being able to trust anyone mm-hmm. to you know so i think there's a lot there i'm gonna it's give it a point proves it has, yeah it proves it has depth yeah um yeah point as well mm-hmm. um and then scare factor I, I think with this from beginning to end like you said there there's really unless you'd seen it before there's not really spoilers it to, is you know to ruin the scare i feel like there's enough scare in this agree i agree it's a i'm slow gonna build uh-huh um, which we were talking about before, like the critique is being the pacing, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm not of that ilk. I don't mind like getting the long game for a scare. No, because the way the scenes are built is so effective. And I, I mean, even in that like conversation scene, the way like the lighting hits the birds of prey yes. and the way that Norman is framed with the, with the owl, is so cool, which yeah, I have to say, again, like in the Gus Van Sant version, like the color and the light, like it kills the lighting, and so it's not there. Mm-hmm. But like in Hitchcock's, like it's there, it, and it's yeah. To me, that scene when you yeah when you see his little office mm-hmm. side room, it had the same effect to me as in Texas Chainsaw when you go in there and you see like the weird bone art yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Same effect. Yeah, for me, and it's like it scared me. Mm-hmm. Like you go in, like if you went into a stranger's house, 
and went into their room and saw all that taxidermy and stuff like that, you'd be like, hey, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and with, with that scene, there are moments that are genuinely creepy. Like when there, there's a time when Norman is like talking about like the mental asylum and what that would be like for his mother. And there's a, there's, there are just like these little flashes of insanity mm-hmm. in that scene, which is so effective. Like there's, there's a part where he says like people cluck their tongues and it's just like, he's disgusted with everyone. And, and it's so surprising that he would say that um, mm-hmm. because what we've seen of him before is just like this, you know, you know, boy next door, Yeah. Um, which I, I guess we haven't officially talked about, but like Anthony Perkins in this role is incredible the way he plays the boy next door, like the unassuming meek guy is so effective. And Hitchcock and the screenwriter were like genius for changing Norman from the book to the movie. Yes, absolutely. Because it, like even when you see him in his mother's outfit and you see his face, it mm-hmm. does not look like the same person. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the silly wig or the dress or anything. It's like his facial expression. Yeah. Um, and just him as a character truly changes. And mm-hmm. it's scary. And like in the reveal at the end when like spin around like mom mm-hmm. in her chair and the light and it's iconic. It's, it's, it's so scary. iconic, but it's iconic for a reason. It doesn't look, I mean, I don't Do you think modern audiences would find that cheap looking of the taxidermied mom? I love it. I think it's great. I mean. It's not like a plastic skeleton to, jumping to out of it. compare it to. Closet. I mean, to compare it to Gus Van Sant's movie, like it, it works better, yeah, than Van Sant's. And um, it, I, I would also say it looks like a taxidermy, like yeah. taxidermy, like it's it's not trying. I, to look. I would I would also say probably the scariest part about this, which I think would freak anyone out, is the idea of like you're taking a shower and someone's on the other oh side of the curtain, like ex- that. That everyone is scared of that that's right that's exactly that's exactly what i told kristen after we watched the shower scene i was like that is the reason why because like um like our shower in this house Mm -hmm. has like the glass panels i was like that's why i'm glad we have that and we don't have the shower curtain yeah because it freaks me out yeah and i mean i've i've been on the other side too where like i'm in the bathroom the shower curtain's closed Uh uh-huh someone could be back there punch it (laughs) yeah and and so it's you know it's effective in in its scares i mean that's an understatement i think um, it's known as the scariest one of the scariest movies of all time rightfully so i'm gonna give it a point yeah i i mean despite any sort of criticism that for modern audiences it's not going to give that scare I think you like if we showed this to a ninth grader or tenth grader, I, in in a dark room like theater setting, I think they would be like there would be some jumps. I, I think, think it'd be scary. So there is a description in, in the special out. features of the movie. There's like a description of like what it was like to be in the theater while watching Psycho and when Lila is like, when she goes down to the fruit cellar, mm-hmm. everyone in the theater was yelling like, don't go down there. Like there was a sense of like fun to it. Like not like deep existential fear, but like the kind of cathartic fear mm-hmm. 
that's fun and that like, yeah, like one, when you one, once, you, once you scream like everyone laughs yeah. that kind of fear um i think this movie this movie delivers on that kind of fear i agree so yeah gotta give it a point gosh it's okay so, it well, was so su- fun to rewatch this movie surprising no one <clears throat> psycho yeah. is in the canon but i yeah i have to say i but also we have to talk about all these parts because i think it informs so much of what we've watched and will watch yeah and i have to say like i I really love this movie um vertigo is kind of seen now as hitchcock's best movie um i think it's this Uh, i will watch i can watch psycho a Mm -hmm. thousand times Mm -hmm. and still love it Mm -hmm. um so this this is this is a great movie Great. Okay, let's, let's talk get about into Frenzy. Frenzy. So, <laughs> 1972 is when it was released, uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, obviously, uh, written by Anthony Schaefer. Uh, John Finch plays Richard Blaney. Barry Foster plays Bob Rusk. And Anna Massey plays Babs Milligan. Okay, so thinking about production, um, I think well maybe even before that let's talk about like why we chose frenzy so frenzy was mentioned um in men women and chainsaws men women and chainsaws specifically with the with the like the kill scenes right it was talking about how um intense she sees them as problematic yeah um and and that's something that that was interesting after i watched the movie i I reread the parts where it was mentioned in that book and she writes about how this is one where we're supposed to sympathize with the rapist and um and the rapist blames women for like his like for being raped yeah because they can't like they can't meet his expectation they can't um like rise to the challenge of being his partner Mm -hmm. or lover or whatever and and i understand that and i know that i'm I'm a male so like take that take this with a grain of salt but like i i i think that's why um bob works as a killer is that like he like i don't sympathize with him like that that scene where he's like saying like no one you know when when he's complaining about not being able to find a woman Mm -hmm. like to me that's like toxic masculinity that's like of course he's going to blame women because he's a psycho and because he's you know yeah because he's a serial killer like it's not rational yeah um and so i think that I don't think we're supposed to sympathize with him. And so that's my only, no. that's my only, yeah. you know, well, let's, kind of... we'll put it, let's talk about that with monster quality. We'll get back okay. to that production. Um, I, I feel like it's not timeless. It's terribly dated. I mean, it is sixties written like 72 is when it was made. 72. Yeah. Okay, 70s print. <laughs> no, I feel, but I feel like, I feel like it's dated. Okay. Um, I, I can't say, I, I, well, maybe I will say like in terms of the writing, like the scenarios, I think it could take place anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just have the guy who's down in his luck, mm-hmm. getting fired. Yeah. Which I have to say, John a, Finch is great. 
Oh, the acting. Yeah. It's like he I love. He has this like sweatiness to him <laughs> that is is perfect for the role. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 uh um uh so he's he's the one who plays Blaney, right? Yeah, he's the innocent guy who's framed. Right. Bob um, is the killer. Yeah, so the guy who plays Rusk is um I think is also great in terms of acting like he is mm-hmm. to me he's a psychopath like yeah. he's they, who I imagine Hitchcock wanted Michael Caine for that oh totally could see that. can you see that absolutely yeah. yeah I think this guy was great yeah but it is kind of a Michael Caine-ish role yeah you know um yeah but uh, in in terms of cinematography I feel like we're kind of like obligated to, obligated to give it a point too because I'm thinking about those kill scenes while um I think, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to be sympathetic in those, but like the first like rape murder scene that we see where it's doing the different faces. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying yeah. before about the montages between like the eyes and the throat and the, mm-hmm. um, and all of that. And uh, what is he, oh, what is he saying while it's like zoomed in on him and he's like gyrating. Um, I don't remember. And there's this great um, in the first kill scene. I can't remember the specific lines, but um, there's this um, juxtaposition of her um, like kind of like screaming and like his dialogue, like I'm a, I'm a good boy or something, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, I, I, I don't know. Production wise. I thought that was great. How it was set up. Yeah. Um, that back and forth in the beginning. I I like the edginess of this film. Like for Hitchcock, this is as edgy as he got. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the only film of his that featured nudity. Yeah, but you only um, like you only see boobs at the end. Um, there are a few times, right? You get like we well, get some side boob, I guess. <laughs> Okay. Some, some butt. but but yeah right. <laughs> but but you're right like in terms of like in, it, it being like graphic yeah yeah it, this is yeah totally this is totally different movie from from psycho yeah yeah um and so i feel i i, I feel like you know psycho it it doesn't show anything right um here it does Right. Yeah, I could have. Do you? So, do you think that's? Do you see that as a pro or a con? I see it as a sign of the times, like how yeah. how cinema. I don't think we need... has evolved in like how how we want, like how we expect to see things now. Yeah, right. Like, is yeah is is there a modern horror movie in which like there is no gore or violence of any kind? Yeah. Well, I was. Um... What were we saying? Uh, So we started, this is kind of unrelated, but I'll tie it back. Um, So we, we, um, my wife and I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I commented the other night in the season that we're watching currently, how the violence and brutality Mm -hmm. is like upped. Oh, yeah. It's scale, like as Hydra is infiltrated, like they're using real guns, whereas before they were using, um, what they call them, like icers. Okay. So stun people, but now there's right. real guns, oh, and yeah. now there's like these brutal fight scenes, where it seems like that. I mean, for the first three seasons, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you're right. I think our expectation as audiences, and that's something that's on ABC. Yeah. Um. So I think our expectation as audiences is we're, we want to see that gore, that detail, that graphic. But I think in this movie, Frenzy, 
I kind of don't appreciate. I don't want to like maybe show me the tie around the neck, but I don't want to see the tongue hanging out of the mouth and the eyes bulging. I thought that was just a little gratuitous. Um, I, I think the most effective, the, the the most effective use of this like edginess in Hitchcock in this movie is when we see the body fall out of the potato truck. <laughs> That's like the black, like dark comedy. Everything leading up to it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's comical. It's it's just this like dark comedy. I love it. As a <laughs> yeah, like I love it. I think it's fun. I like. I actually watched that whole potato scene twice. Yeah, <laughs> but but like I don't. But the, is that necessary for a horror movie? But I feel like I'm well, being hypocritical though because when we talked about murders. Mm-hmm. One scene that we said was amazing was where she's skinned. Yeah, where she's played and it's her without it's it's her it shows her entirely without all of her skin and we're like that's awesome. Yeah. <sighs> so I feel like a hypocrite <laughs> now, but I. Well, well, maybe so, it's apple, so, is it apples and oranges? Um. I think a little bit. Um, like I, I, I really do enjoy the potato truck scene. I love for it. all its goofiness. Um, and and it is like like the way that scene is built. We are supposed to sympathize with the killer. Yeah, right? it's like oh that oh that's exactly when I was I the second time I watched it I was watching it with um my mom and my wife and. They were like, yeah, we're rooting for the killer. We mm-hmm. want her, like him to break her fingers and like get this pen out of her hand. Right. And so I think that adds to the complexity of the movie. Um, I still don't think it quite goes into what Claire, uh, Carol J. Clover was, was talking about. Um, when, when she, you know, slammed the movie for, for making us, uh, kind of engage with with the killer because i i i think in that scene it was it was partly for comic effect partly because it i think it makes for a good suspenseful scene um but like i said i I think the the thing that she had a problem with was like the motivation of the killer and i never sympathized with that no yeah, I, I I didn't get that sense either. Oh. There, uh, yeah. So there was another scene that you mentioned before we recorded, where like the camera zooms out. Yeah, does right? it twice. Yes, <clears throat> and I I love how he plays with our expectations. I mean, I think yeah, in that moment he's not showing us. Yes. Yeah. Um. Where where Hitchcock, you know, is is able to tell the audience like. I know what's going on. You know what's going on. We don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because he's uh, at that point. I mean, that first scene, obviously that's not his first victim, but that um, um, brusques that first like kill scene that we see, um, we do, we see a lot mm-hmm. of, of that whole thing. So we know that that's happening again. Yeah. Um, and so production wise, I feel like I gotta give it a point just because I feel like all the visual elements mm-hmm. actually really and the and the character development and the acting. Mm-hmm. I I like a lot of this movie. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a point too, but there's one more thing that I have written down that I wanna talk about. The chief inspector. So <laughs> 
Oh, what? my favorite part of the whole movie. Really? Like that dynamic with him and his wife? Really? Oh, Speak on that. Oh, my God. Well, this goes back to, and we'll get this in Scare Factor, because, like, I, I mean, I'll just reveal. I'm not going to give it a point for Scare Factor. Not, because it's not a scary it's movie. It's not scary. It's hilarious. It's a comedy. It's a dark, black comedy. And the reason why is because, especially with those scenes between him and his wife, and they're, like, hashing out the murder, mm-hmm. and it's the whole, like... I, I just love the fact that, um, you know, that the screenwriter and Hitchcock went into such depth and detail with that dynamic between him yeah. and his wife. I thought those Very scenes were unique. hilarious. Like the, oh, uh, this is my soup de poisson. <laughs> like, and this is horrible, like squid uh-huh. thing. Um, but in those scenes, you know, it, it could have just been him and his wife talking and eating dinner. Yeah. Right. But there's more to it than that. Like Hitchcock still sets up the scene. Like when they're at the dinner table, like the candles are positioned um, specifically in that first dinner scene. There's a lamp that it zooms out and you have the lamp in the middle and it's like perfectly juxtaposed. Like Mm. that whole scene reminds me of like, um, uh, can I say, is it, am I thinking Wes Anderson? Yes. Like in a Wes Anderson movie where okay. like it, it's almost like each shot is a portrait. Yeah. Like that mm. is what happens in those dinner scenes in addition to that dynamic and the dialogue with it. That's why I love it is because it looks – and then – oh my god. And then the second time when his uh, – the sergeant comes in. Yeah. She's like, would you like a margarita? <laughs> it's tequila uh, – what did she tequila say? Tequila. Tequila. And triple sec and his salted rim glass. <laughs> he tastes it and he hates it and she downs it. It's like that whole thing. Yeah. As like in terms of plot, like it just moves the plot or like it just pushes the plot forward, which is fine. But I just found it so funny. It's it's this British like dry humor. It's very British. Yeah. I love the way he like cuts into his tiny little what is it a Cornishin or a quail yeah. or whatever and his grapes and he's like. She has this big bowl of soup, and she's like, that's going to be quite satisfying, so I just be just this tiny quail. <laughs> it's like Monty Python. Like, yeah. I love it. I, I love the banality of it. Yes. Um, The way that, like, our detective isn't, like, a superhero. Mm-hmm. Like, he goes home, and, like, his wife is a it's sounding bored. Like, <laughs> it, but, but, I, yeah, that, she the way that it's different, it though, out. is, like, yeah, they have this awesome relationship where, like, she asks smart questions <laughs> and, like... <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it actually reminds me of The Exorcist 3. Yes. Right? Yeah. Where, like, you get, you get this feeling that, like, there's more to the detective than the case. Like yes. they have a life outside of the case. Yep. And while it it's played for laughs and it it doesn't add to the scare factor, it adds to the characterization. Yeah. And you don't movie. get that you, I mean you don't get that depth with, <laughs> with like really any of the main characters. Like we don't know what dinner is necessarily like for yeah. us we don't know um even for blaney mm-hmm. right this is his name right blaney yeah um we don't i mean he's caught up in this struggle but we don't even know mm-hmm. I, I just feel like even with the characters it, it was just as shocking for me like when he goes 
when Blaney goes um, to like his friend's house that's going to give him the job at the pub in Paris, mm-hmm. and um, that guy's wife is so outraged, yeah, um, finding out about that second murder and blames him automatically. And they, the only reason she gets bad is because they don't want to be implicated, exactly. and they're selfish, just jerks. I love that part there's, of this movie. Yeah, there's some social commentary there that's really interesting, and I think like in the beginning. Um, you know, like it seems like the whole city of London is kind of enraptured in this tabloid mm-hmm. story of the necktie murders, and just just like with Jack the Ripper, you, mm-hmm. and you, they you know, throw like, that in there. Yeah, it's like he's and, the next Jack the Ripper. Exactly, and so like there's this kind of like sensationalism that's really interesting, and so there are a lot of layers to this movie. Yeah, and. That's what's going to make me give it a point. Like, yeah. there, there's a lot there. Well, let's think about that. So, as layers, the killer going to monster quality, um, archetypal fears, and depth. As I was saying, when I picture a psychopath, so like when I think of, I don't know, I go back and forth between Norman Bates, but let's take um, Rusk here. I'm even thinking like um, like an American Psycho. Okay. Um, I had that same kind of vibe with the killer. Um, just like on the surface, he's like really put together. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's I really charismatic. Mm-hmm. He's manipulating everybody around him like a psychopath. What he has no qualms, no empathy, mm-hmm. nothing. Like that's why for monster quality, in terms of him as a character, I'm like, yes, like nailed it. Like that's what yeah. I picture a serial murder to be like, not creepy, parking attendant, mm-hmm. um, human centipede guy. Yeah, I agree, and, and I, I think. The scenes where we see like his true nature are especially effective like mm-hmm. when when he's murdering richard's wife ex-wife like it's a disturbing scene but it also it, it gives us an enough about his psyche that mm-hmm. like we we get who he is mm-hmm. and like we we understand that he's you know, he's blaming women for his problems. Um, yeah. I think it's effective. And in, in, in terms of archetypal fear, I mean, we can tie this back to Psycho. Like you said, blaming women for your problems, blaming your mother, yeah. blaming um, the young, attractive women, not uh-huh. knowing um, what's underneath that mm-hmm. person who really, even if you're close to them, is this, could be a total stranger. Yeah. I feel like that's here in this movie, too. Yeah, and, and also the additional fear um, from Richard, it, you know, the fear of being falsely accused. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a very Hitchcockian trope and that where, went, like, the innocent yeah. man is falsely accused of a crime. And that went much faster than I thought it would go. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, he's he's accused. Like, we get little snippets because they're, like, mm-hmm. opening the door <laughs> with yeah. the guard. And then, like, oh, oh he's accused. It's gone. Part. And yeah. like it, instead of like, because imagine like um, I'm thinking what were we watching the the exorcism of Emily Rose, those trial scenes mm-hmm. drawn out like they, very well in a, a modern remake of this movie. Don't you think that trial would have been just like drug out? Oh yeah, when and like a centerpiece need... for the movie when all you need is that little part. Like oh, he's going to jail. When when all you needed is his reaction. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. So. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a point for monster quality. Me too, because I think, and I think the care again, like we saw in Psycho, it's the characters that drive it. Yeah. Um, okay. Scare factor, as I mentioned before, I'm not giving it a point. It's it's a funny movie. It's a fun movie. 
It's uh, it's not scary. It's suspenseful. Yes. Um, but it's not scary. Yep. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this before in in an episode, but Hitchcock has this kind of often quoted uh, phrase where you know if, if you have two people talking at a restaurant and um, there's an explosion, that's shock, that's surprise. When you have two people talking at a restaurant and you see the bomb under the table, that's suspense. And Hitchcock is known as the master of suspense. He, he does it well in this movie, like with the potato truck scene. Like, that's a good suspenseful scene because you want to know, like, <laughs> is he going to get the evidence or mm-hmm. what, you know? Um, but it's, it's not scary. It's, it, it, it's just not. No. Uh, yeah. I would call it a thriller. What do you think? Um, this kind of goes to, to scare factor. Um, and I feel like we have to end on that cause that's the perfect. Yeah. Um, but what do you think the frenzy is? Do you think it's his frenzy to pursue Ooh. the women? Like, why is it called frenzy? Well, yeah, I, I think it's is it you frenzy know, his... over tabloids, sensationalism yeah, of serial I think killers. It's, both. it's one of those great, you know, titles that has layers. <laughs> All right, that's good. Well, it's are we going to put it in honorable mention? I think so. Hitch- I mean, it has yeah. four points. Um, I think there's a lot there that you know someone who is into horror. Um, would want like i think you'd want to see this i think if you've seen i'll say i think if you've seen psycho rear window vertigo then maybe see frenzy <laughs> like if you're gonna like give hitchcock films to somebody yeah who's like get initiating themselves but into hitchcock. If, if you're looking just at hitchcock's horror yeah i mean it's, oh, we it's, have to, oh my god! We'll do the birds. I was, I was talking yeah. to my mom about this. One of my mom's favorite movies is yeah. the birds. It, we have to do the birds and Birdemic. Yes. Um. I also think uh, Rebecca is another. Yeah. Um. One that um, plays into horror. The rest of Hitchcock, I think, kind of sits neatly in like the suspense thriller, like Vertigo, Rear Window. Those are thrillers. I don't think we would do them no. because they're not horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to do those two movies. Something good. So we, yeah, we have to do like creature. I think birds would fit good in the creature feature. Like that kind of idea. Okay. We could do several, but anyway, you've got but, to watch birdemic. I know. You've just got, I know, to I, know, I, know. I know. Okay. Um, so uh, going into next week, we're actually going to change gears because of the recent release release of the purge three. So we're going to do a purge. Yes. Session. So, Okay, so we're talking about great directors and filmmaking, <laughs> and now we're going to purge um, and talk about yes, the purge Horribly trilogy. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll talk about purge, purge anarchy, and the purge movement. How appropriate for our election year! Yes, make America.
America great. That's the slogan of election year. So, all right. So good. Let's do it. So we've got that next time. Um, also check out the Outrider podcast. And like we said, the, the test prep that Stephen McClurg is yes. writing on there for us. You can check us out at enoyasolstice.com. Please leave a comment. Um, like us on Twitter at enoyasolstice. And we'll see you next time. Pencils down. The terror test. Mm-hmm.